Welcome back to all you smooth jazz lovers and podcast fanatics. It is your favorite thing on the internet so far. Uncle Jay's Lounge, thank you for coming back. Today, Julian and I will be talking about whether it's more effective to troll the nethers of RuinScape to pay for those hot dogs and why your date is going to know more about you than you would ever think. And before that, Julian, how's it going, bro? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited. A little bit before, I think my excitement has jumped further after just diving into today's topics and how interesting different portions of the world are reacting to these new emerging technologies and some of these technologies may be taking a step too far. It is so interesting that today's two topics are quite on different ends of the universe as far as subject matters, which they you know usually are. But at the same time, they have a very, very strong link of churning of technology and how it leaks into our regular life. And now we're dealing with it on a very, very real world and almost tangible scale, as far as I'm concerned. And that's the thing everyone worries about is where does this technology lead a little bit too far? And always as you make incremental steps to improve something, there are boundaries that you're going to incur. And I think if we want to start in the route of what Tinder is doing, they're in that realm of this first boundary that they're passing is really aggressive in the way it's being rolled out. And I see some potential backlash and legal portions coming towards Tinder in the near future. I think so too. And for all you listeners that are obviously along for the ride, essentially what we have is Tinder is now looking into running background checks on possible dates, which is really, really strange to hear that. Go on the site, you try to build a connection, and before you even get to meet this person, you have a background check ran and kind of like universal credit in a way. I see pros and cons to it, right? They're utilizing a platform called Garbo, which is a terrible name, first of all, in my opinion. I don't know why you choose to be Garbo. And essentially what they're doing is Garbo is taking dating profiles such as Tinder, OkCupid, Hinge, and Match. And what they'll be doing is, as Jordan said, that background information. And the way they're doing it at first is they're either looking up your first and last name in the local records database which is i think more applicable to the u.s and how open those court documents are or they're looking for a phone number to look at your background and look for any types of domestic abuse or altercations and things that may be harmful for someone potentially trying to date or so that person may know who they are interacting with I think it's also really interesting the way that Match Group, which owns all of the dating apps that Julian just mentioned, is going about this and their their relationship with Garbo, which is really hard to say (laughs) just off the front. (laughs) What actually happened, it's not really a partnership, but it's actually that Match, the Match Group invested a lot of money into Garbo. So you can imagine that it's not going to be a kind of a partnership push back and forth, but I think it'll be a more of a one-sided thing and we'll have background checks running when we're trying to meet somebody for a coffee. Once again, man, I think that there's pros and cons to it. I really don't like the invasion of privacy, but obviously, I mean, unless unless you have 
some sort of interesting thought in your head. This is obviously going to make dating safer, is it not? Maybe. The issue that I see here, I understand the goal and I hope that's what it does, but the issue here is saying this one person is bad and this one person is perfectly fine. And based on what they're looking at, right, selectively looking at like domestic abuse or maybe substance abuse, doesn't mean that the person who comes up with the clean background record is necessarily a good person. So it can create some false positives. And I think that's what could occur because just because someone hasn't or doesn't have a domestic abuse on their record doesn't mean they aren't capable of doing that. However, I do think one of the things they touched on was there's a large portion of sex offenders, registered sex offenders, who signed up for these dating apps, and people did not know that. And I always thought you had to disclose if you were on that list, but apparently not. Well, I guess in that case, yeah, I think knowing somebody, if somebody's a sex offender, then that is super important to know. Honestly, man, I'm not winning awards for my empathy for them. I don't need to go any further on that. But I also think that it might, it obviously, it's a fine line, right? So there's there's probably going to be a case or two or potential of somebody being mis mislabeled as uh, have breaking the law before an ex felon. Not only that, but you kind of play an interesting role too. And Garbo actually talked about this, but drug possession charges and how, you know, if you're actually pinpointing violence and protecting people and gender-based violence specifically, then there's you're going to play a fine line between like what is enough like is a couple duis enough to like trigger a report if drugs aren't a thing or you're playing judge in this case and i think there's just a it's a slippery slope exactly it's just so tough to judge based on what that comes back as whether that's someone who's recovering and creating a new lifestyle for them i mean at the end of the day it's going to be up to that user utilizing the platform and making those judgments, which, you know, I may not be the right voice because I've never utilized those platforms. But from, you know, that perspective as a user, how do you think that would affect the the matching decision or the user interface or experience on the app? Seeing maybe someone comes up and it says questionable background or clean background. How do you think that affects that cycle well number one julian i want to recognize that you just tried to implicate me and say that i use tinder which is not the case what was on the agenda tonight (laughs) i i mean yeah what was on the agenda for asking me that question (laughs) (laughs) but i do i do think that there's that there's going to be a lot of things that they're going to have to get straight and right in this particular case. And it almost seems like it goes against the ethos of some of these things, particularly Tinder, which it is talked about in the article that will be in the show notes. It mentions that, of course, Tinder is kind of, they haven't promoted the idea of people including personal details like last names and whatnot on their actual profiles. And there's going to be a bridging of kind of personal I don't know how to describe it, but personal privacy, right? Maybe you can opt in into something like this instead of not. But I just wouldn't feel comfortable if, you know, you were getting background checks ran against you without your consent. The thing you touched on earlier, rounding into that point, was how they're utilizing it. There also is the potential just for inaccuracies, right? If you have a certain phone number, 
And once again, I think this mostly applies to the United States, because I'm not sure if England or Australia or Germany, you people have that access into those types of records so easily. But if you have a phone number and you switch phone numbers or you pick up a new phone number, maybe that phone number that they're tracking is related to a previous you know, narcotics trafficker or mm. someone accused of domestic abuse or your name is simply John Smith and that pulls into your profile and incorrectly labels your background, that's where the question becomes how accurate is it based on those things? And further, if they try to require more information, are people actually going to give that? Who knows? It's very interesting because I could see someone who gets the wrong background from you know an incorrect phone number, an old phone number history that Tinder could be in a lot of trouble saying that, oh, you said I was this, that, and a third, and maybe I missed the, you know, the love of my life because of that. So I want $2 million. How does that work? I don't know, but it's definitely a potential con that I could see happening. I'm glad you brought that up because I can, I think, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a kind of a wild ride, guys. So buckle in. But personally, with my UK number, I... I honestly think the guy that had it before me was a money smuggler from Nigeria. And I know that sounds really weird. <laughs> I know that sounds really weird. Oh! <laughs> I, I swear. I swear to you. So just to get the story straight, I got my my number. And like to this day, because I've, you know, it's been years and I still will get people calling from the Nigeria area code and I've you know I'll get texts or messages saying hey can you make a UK account and put this $12,000 into it and it's just like what <laughs> so that's that's my founding on why that's the case so of course I would fall victim to this background check check that Tinder's running if it so happened to be the case that they ran off of numbers obviously this is kind of a silly case here but once again, I think you made a good point, Julian, and I just took the opportunity to capitalize on the joke. I think we've both kind of come to the synopsis that it's it's a good idea and the intentions are positive, right? In the way that online or just dating is transpiring and evolving, that making these platforms more safe so that way you aren't linking up with a potential offender or someone who has a history of these abuses and whatnot is going to make the platform better. But the simple rollout by being a little bit more data conscious and potentially leading into all these obstacles could come back to bite them in the ass down the road. However, that being said, it does make you wonder what the future of these sites is and how maybe Bumble looks at what Tinder is doing and understands, okay, maybe that's not the best way to do it. Maybe this is the way we go about it. Or maybe for the people who are super serious about finding a match and they want to go to a certain paid platform or paid tier, everyone in that tier has passed this background or has encountered you know, these levels of screenings for those who are super serious to find you know, that perfect match. Maybe that's the way it goes. I'm not sure. Where do you think as this security and safety is evolving that these platforms may go? Man. As far as history goes, it really isn't looking too bright for them. 
and it kind of smells. So for instance, when I say history, I can grab a whole bunch of stories or lessons, but in 2018, Grindr uh, had to admit that two companies like had access to their, you know, users data. And some of that data was actually like their HIV status. So, mm-hmm. you know, things in that situation, Tinder's been from the match group, the same group says that it sold data about people's ethnicity, political views and location and stuff like that to like customer engagement services and stuff. And so it's, it's really not looking bright. And the less information that these companies have about each individual, I think the better. And I mean, if they go to background checks, I just feel like it's, they're going to use that data to do something else as well. And of course, it's going to be a paid service, um, which is mentioned in the article, but I think it stinks, man. But how about you? What are you thinking about the future of this thing? It's a great point all around. I'm I'm not sure. I think there's definitely a balance. And obviously, as I mentioned, never using any of these services before I've been able to see on different forms and Reddit and when looking at this article in the comments that there are other concerns about the platforms. You know, some people are really upset about the potential of, you know, people utilizing bots or Jordan's favorite show, Catfish. In those types of things occurring or potential like trafficking of humans being, you know, catfish in a certain type of way. Like, how do they add to those layers that, you know, maybe you make a fake profile with a fake name and a burner number and then you meet with someone and then, you know, that's the, the big safety concern. There's a lot of things that I think go into that, you know, just jumping into it right away. Maybe they've been thinking about this for a little while. It just doesn't seem fully fleshed out from you know our conversation itself is just jumping into it right away may not be the best way to do it and could be the the downfall of that idea or that holistic view very early on for the whole industry if this just crashes and burns yeah i i w- you know I wish I wish that this could be you know how it would have the potential of being the downfall of something like this, but Dude, maybe call me a pessimist, um, or maybe this is an optimist, but I just feel like people are too horny to care about their data like that. (laughs) Genuinely, genuinely, bro. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always going to be someone who utilizes the platform, and there's always evolving platforms and these dating sites that come about where, you know, for different, more mature audiences, they probably may move away from Tinder, more specified at a younger demographic. And then, you know, they might move over to to farmers only or black people meet, you know, things like that. Barbecue joint. (laughs) Yeah, my barbecue spot. Hell yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, there's always those changes. It's just very interesting to see where this goes and how they leverage, you know, if this something that just gets phased out or if it's something that evolves over time. We don't hear about it again, really, until, you know, four or five years with a, a big, you know, the next big update to it. And I think that that is actually a perfect segue, unless you had anything else to talk about, um, particular, particularly with this, um, the happenings on the online dating scene. But as far as evolution of tech and how that affects our lives, um, that's a perfect segue to what we have coming up next, which is um, countries actually banning cryptocurrency and their you know, citizens of being able to own it, use it and trade it even and mine it of course 
it's it's shocking you know, looking at a 10,000 foot view but it is understandable in some regards to what these countries are trying to do it to me it's always that big conversation that people have it's if you're looking at a developing country or a a poor country that people are like oh just give them a ton of money and they'll figure it out maybe that's not the right way to go about it and i could see in some of these instances that if you give if someone has access to a single Bitcoin in Nigeria or India, and that is now worth 60000 or 59000 USD, and then that gets converted into their currency, then you could really do damage to a local economy if things don't have the infrastructure for that type of money or what people are utilizing. However, what India is doing is a little interesting. The the legislation for India particularly is I mean, honestly, man, I don't I don't think it is one of those things that are that is, you know, for the safety of the economy. I think it's for the control of the government, uh, especially in the Nigerian case, which I'll, I just want to dip my toe in really quickly so that you guys can kind of be catch, caught up on that. But essentially during the Nigerian riots in the capital Lagos. The way that the government tried to stifle some of the protests was to take the access of money away, which people would be donating or um, Nigerians would be getting from different sources. So PayPal, Bitcoin and things like that. So they made it illegal and you know very difficult to get money from the outside to kind of stifle some of those efforts. That's off of the first end. But now they're trying to control it continuously, you know, past the riots. And I think that this is another control effort from a government in India that has essentially said, hey, this uh, legislation is very, very likely to be passed. And if it does, that means that you have six months to liquidate your cryptocurrency and then or it'll be illegal at that point. And hey, you know what? Just out of coincidence, it doesn't have anything to do with this, but we're also opening up our own cryptocurrency. So check that shit out. And so I just think it's weak, man. It's lame. I see the opportunity and I see what India is trying to do and piggyback and seeing the numbers going into there. And maybe that's drawing outside investment into what India makes. And for the Nigeria case, you know, historically, cryptocurrency has been associated with drugs and black market and these hidden transactions that is what the media likes to portray it as since it is decentralized and nigeria trying to crack down on a lot of the smuggling that's happening in the country would like to crack down on the payment methods being utilized there that's why it's so difficult to open a paypal account in some cases in nigeria uh, while india i think is you know trying to capitalize on this opportunity and then even to that point where they said you have six months, they're still offering, I think, 10 years in jail if you're caught, if it passes, if you're caught with cryptocurrency after that six months, which seems like an absurd amount of time. It's ridiculous, man. And I maybe maybe I'm just leaning towards let the people do what they want. Um, and maybe this is a short-sighted or myopic view, but I just don't understand... Other than the government's being a gangster on why this would be a reasonable thing, you know, they're not totally restricting blockchain tech. So you, I'm going to give them credit for that. People will still be able to use the technology for other things, but not invest in cryptocurrency. I just short sighted, man, because you could say that same argument for a lot of things back in prohibition. You could say, 
you know, a lot of cars are used to move around illegal alcohol. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you don't ban cars for that. It's, it's, it's a vehicle for things to happen. And you want to stop the bad things from happening, but it's still a vehicle for a lot of other good things, right? Yeah. And it maybe it's part of what people are calling, you know, this crypto bubble. India's putting the, the cart before the horse here and isn't necessarily trying to utilize the crypto to the best way to benefit them. So they say, you know, if we're a little behind, let's just stop this one in its tracks and let's start from the from the ground up with our own. Since we have a you know a bit of a knowledge of the blockchain, we can just start our own, um, have more control, be able to understand where what's happening, have more oversight in it, keep it within our local, you know, within our country, um, and maybe draw some of those outside purposes to help us out. But it just seems like a very large missed opportunity where you have all of these things, Bitcoin, all around the world, and then in your country, it just stops there. And if Bitcoin and cryptos are the future, then maybe like you look at Ethereum and things like that, if they aren't allowing that into their country, does that put them at a point of stagnation where maybe they fall further behind if, you know, 10 or 15, 20 years down the line, cryptos and decentralized finance is really the big thing and no one's really looking to integrate with whatever India is utilizing. That is a good point. They could essentially in a in a very and maybe I should get my wrist slapped for reaching for this analogy, but essentially becoming a Madagascar. And for you guys who don't know about Madagascar, it's a place of really, really interesting creatures and it's a off the coast of Western Africa or Eastern Africa. And the the really fascinating thing about it is is that these creatures that live there were in isolation for thousands of years. So they evolved in a very different way and it makes them play really oddly when you reintroduce them to the population. And it might, in this particular case, I could see it possibly leading to, you know, defectivity in some sort of way. Cause I just don't think, I think tech is to be made to, to share and grow in, in that type of way. And also Julian, I mean, we just spent, some really quality time looking up what happens when when governments mess up and people need to go to the internet to pay their bills and particularly some RuneScape joints. So um, you know how crazy it can get, dog. We need those outs, right? To get those hot dogs. <laughs> the the Venezuelan economy, much to our surprise, an article that I had read a little bit ago and while we were talking about this topic that there is a large amount of people who play RuneScape and realize that what they could sell RuneScape gold, so in-game currency of RuneScape, you can mine that and accumulate this gold, this wealth, this currency, and then you can sell it to other individuals around the world who may want a million gold for, you know, 50 cents, 60 cents, and, you know, make some wealth that way. And so you might be saying, well, that seems like it could be quite a bit of work for, you know, 50 cents for a million gold. But realistically, much to both of our surprise is how much people are making from this gold as opposed to what the average wage is monthly in Venezuela. Emphasis on as opposed to. So in relation to uh, if I told you guys that 
the average salary that you can get a month in Venezuelan, essentially like converted to USD, was you know honestly it's it's i i want to abuse this crazy crazy fact and make people guess but i can't interact with you guys but let's play a you know a multiple choice game here if we know that venezuela is in a really bad place their inflation is about 55% what do you estimate their usd equivalency is per monthly so answer a is let's say $1000 a month answer b is 300 answer c is ten dollars and answer d is none of the above now once you guys have guessed if your answer was at answer d then you were right but it's only because i gave you a huge margin these guys make seven cents a month obviously that comes from our best finding and converting of what they're making and in some articles some people are making two to three dollars a month uh, a luxury good is a a hot dog in a lot of places. Hot dogs cost five to six dollars in Venezuela. So if you're making, we'll be generous and say you're making five dollars a month. You are have the ability to afford a single hot dog, right? And once again, disclaimer, Jordan and I have not been to Venezuela, but a lot of these different articles we show kind of relate to the same point that a lot of people rely not necessarily on their incomes, but some you know family and friends who live outside of the country sending in money for them to live. And so when you look at what people are doing in RuneScape, that if you are selling this million in gold for 50 cents and you end up making 15 or $20 a month, you're far exceeding the average salary that is occurring in Venezuela. And you may be able to afford a few more goods um, than the average person. I think you're downplaying it, Jay. And the reason is, is when you say a few more goods, I, what the actual translation to that is, is uh, you can afford to live. And I, I just find it insane. And it's also to the point of, you know, there's actually YouTube videos of people saying there's too many noobs out on this particular pot part um and for all you nerds that play runescape it's uh the east dragons or east drags there's so many noobs out here that there's actually a, a post saying hey this is how you kill these noobs so essentially saying this is how you take away these people's livelihood and it's just insane that the the answer to extreme poverty is to play this video game and sell the gold online for 50 cents that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's absurd to think about in relation to, you know, what you're seeing in our relation here to cryptocurrencies in some regards is if that was the viewpoint, you know, I could understand how if your economy, if there's a couple people who are, you know, making money from Bitcoin and they're bringing in 45,000 or $50,000 or whatever it is, and the average person is making, you know, say $2 a month, there's a pretty large discrepancy there. And that can, you know, have some lasting effects on an economy. However, when we pivot back to India, the other thing I think that was interesting there is that the person who suggested the sweeping bans on cryptocurrency is a billionaire with a B in India that recommended that. So essentially said, you know what, we probably shouldn't do this and help get it through legislation. 
And that dude already has billions of dollars as opposed to the normal Indian citizen who definitely doesn't have that much money. Bro, I don't see anything wrong with that, Julian. Just a billionaire just trying to do the right thing for the people. We've seen it so many times. <laughs> we doth not purchase it, Slick Willie. We doth not purchase it. It just makes you curious to see. We're seeing all of these things just explode, whether it's crypto. Whatever is happening in the NFT market is unreal right now. How long that sticks around. All of these alternative areas to make money digitally continue to grow and explode and i'm sure we'll see you know countries continue to put their foot down or try to get more integrated or controlling of these digital assets it's just going to be interesting to see how they do so and if it has an effect on the larger you know scale of what is going on i i think it's going to be really really interesting to see the climate and how things shake out and how there's going to be power grabs and grabs of control like we've been seeing in India, Nigeria, and on your dating sites. So I really think that there is a really interesting tie to this and something that we'll be able to watch throughout the future and see how things are going to be um, manifesting themselves. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. The, the frontier is changing and we have a great seat and watching it happen and there's a lot of opportunities for individuals who may be listening to this to find out areas to capitalize or maybe invest or maybe you have a great idea and utilizing some of these technologies to make things better over the you know the course of time we'll see what happens but as always we appreciate you guys for listening hanging out in the lounge today we hope you enjoyed today's episode jordan any final words yeah, I hope you guys drink a lot of water today and are grateful because we're grateful for you guys and we're drinking water. We appreciate your time. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch you next Tuesday. Peace.